the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Financial risk and is not. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy presents a message from James chapter 1. Now, James uses a word throughout these first 18 verses, parasmos, one Greek word, but he applies it two different ways. So parasmos can speak about trials on the outside that are allowed to build up our faith. And then he talks about temptations on the inside will tear down our faith. Tempted and tried. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. You're about to hear the continuation of a message that Philip originally delivered to the students at the Master's University. But this message is meant for you and me as well. Philip is opening to James chapter 1 to show us the joy and benefits of trials. Now that can sound a little counterintuitive, but it's true. Trials are actually key to developing maturity, perseverance, and hope. So rather than running from trouble, Philip is encouraging us to embrace the tests that God allows. Life is full of trials and full of troubles. You can't get through life unscathed or unscratched. And so you and I need to embrace that thought. We need to prepare for that thought. That's the issue. So in verses 1 through 12, I want to look at several things. The first thing I want to look at, if you're taking notes, is what I call the people. The people. The people being addressed here are church members in good standing. You'll see in verse um, 2 that he addresses them as brothers. That's a phrase he'll use 15 times in this letter. Our assumption is that James, who was a pillar in the church in Jerusalem, is writing to some of his former parishioners who have indeed been pushed out across the Mediterranean. But they haven't been able to run from trouble. You can't. That's the people. Secondly, is what I call the perspective. Look at what James says about these trials. Count it all joy. That's the perspective he wants you to bring to your trial. That's amazing. James wants them to be happy in their unhappiness. How can that be? He wants them to anticipate good and the bad. It's so counterintuitive. This isn't natural because most people count it joy when they escape trials, not when they enter them. But James says, no, by faith, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. By faith, knowing that God works all things together. Looking at the story of Joseph where his brothers hurt him and they meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Believing all of that over and above how we feel and what our emotions are doing, what our circumstances are telling us, we say yes to the trial. We embrace it and we put it down as an asset. 
Not because it's a good thing in and of itself, but because of the good it will produce, which is character, development. That's how we can count it joy. Let's move on to the purpose. The purpose, kind of touched on it. But, but here's the purpose is this, Christian maturity. A, a deeper, authentic spirituality. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of different kinds. For you know, the word know there is to know by experience, either your own or through the experience of others. For you know experientially that the testing, that word test, is a Greek word to approve metal. It um, speaks of metal in the furnace that's being strengthened and purified because the alloys are being removed and the impurities and air bubbles are being uh, removed from it and it's going to come out a piece of good Pennsylvania steel for construction. Strong, durable. That's our word. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. That's the purpose. There's purpose to our pain. That's why we can count it joy. But what's the key before we leave the thought of purpose? There is a key. And and it's this. You've got to let the process take place. Did you notice that? This is an imperative, by the way. In the Greek, this is a command, non-negotiable. Verse 4, beginning, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Here's what James is pleading. Will you let the process that God has intended in your difficulty take place? Or will you deny it, run from it, hide from it, complain about it, become bitter in it? Or as I would say, and I wrote this in a devotional to our radio listeners, or will you bail early? Will you bail early? James is saying, don't do that. Let steadfastness have its effect. Stay under the trial. Surround yourself with a cabinet of good counselors. Draw upon the grace of God. Read accounts of martyrdom. Read great biography. Stay under. Let the furnace do its work so that the gaps in your life and character and knowledge of God might be filled in. Here's another thing, the prayer. We've got the prayer, the practice, and the prospect. James goes on to say in verse 5, what? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. How interesting. In verse 4 he says, if you'll stay under the trial, the gaps in your character will be filled in. You'll lack nothing. But then he goes on to talk about lacking something. He moves from lacking nothing to lacking something. There's a verbal and, and, and a linguistic connection. I think we're, we're still thinking this thing out of concerning trials. And I think James says in this, you've got to stay under the trial so that you lack nothing. But one of the things you're going to need while you're under the trial is wisdom to stay under it. Because you're naturally going to try and outsmart God. Or you're going to fall on human wisdom. And you're going to conclude like the rest of society. Troubles are always bad. There's no redemptive purpose to suffering. So medicate. Run. And in extreme cases, take your life. 
Because there's no purpose to pain. And James is saying, no, hold on. Go to God for that wisdom necessary to live under the trial. And, and understand that God uses the testing of our faith to grow us. Now in this passage, there's kind of two thoughts. What I call the subject of the prayer, wisdom, and the spirit of the prayer, unwavering trust. I'm not going to spend much time on that second part it's to be assumed, isn't it, that if we're going to go to God and ask him for something, we've got to believe his willingness to give. That's why there's the great quote by some bishop in England, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Love that. And James would argue that. God loves to give liberally. There's no set allowance to his parenting of you and me. We can go and ask liberally, you know? We've all outrun our allowances when we were kids. And your dad, when you've gone to ask him for that extra 20 bucks, has told you to take a hike, okay? But James is saying, go to God. He's gracious and liberal. But make sure you go believing he's got that kind of heart. But here's the thing that interests me, the subject, not the spirit. The subject is wisdom. Now, the idea of wisdom here in James is, is practical usefulness. James has more of a Hebrew idea on wisdom rather than a Greek one. The Greek idea of wisdom is cleverness, subtlety of thought, obtruse argument. That's not the idea James has in mind. No, James is thinking about the, the Hebrew idea, hokma, skill, aptitude. The ability to live skillfully. Love that. I mean, education by itself can produce clever devils. Wisdom produces smart saints who have got street smarts. You read the book of Proverbs, it's all about handling money, keeping yourself pure, building good relationships, diligence, working hard. Practical usefulness. That's our word. Spurgeon says this. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know it is not, to know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. Just watch TV if you want to prove that thought. There is no fool so great as a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. We need the wisdom, the practical insights from God that will help us to navigate life and to be wise enough to embrace the trial with joy, knowing that God will use it to shape our character. So here's my point, we move on. What, what I think fundamentally, write this down, I think fundamentally what you're praying for in James 5 is the wisdom not to waste your sorrow. That's what's really on, on about there. Don't waste your sorrow. Let it take place so that you'll lack nothing. And here's what you lack. You lack the wisdom to know that. So ask God for wisdom not to waste your sorrow. Quick story here. When I was a pastor in Northern Ireland, having left the police and having left my engineering job, I had a little country congregation. And two of my favorite people were Eileen and Betsy Brown, two sisters, spinsters. One was 90 and one was 85, and they lived together in a little cottage. I remember going to visit them one day. 
Eileen opened the door and she says, oh, pastor, it's so good to see you. I was praying that you would come this morning. I'm kind of going, okay, I'm walking in the spirit, looks like it. And I go into the house and we start talking. And I bet she had, as you can imagine, going pretty frail at 19. Eileen wasn't, was no bodybuilder herself. And yet she was having to carry her sister to bed at night and do a lot of stuff around the house. And I said, Eileen, how are you doing with Batsy? Now listen to this, 85 years old. This was a saintly woman already. She turned to me and says, Pastor, the Lord is teaching me patience. At 85, she was still a student in the school of suffering. And I left that day challenged by that thought. And as I left, she put a little book in my hand and I still have it in my library. It came to mind when I was studying James 1. The book was entitled, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. It's a great little book. It's a great little idea. It's James's idea. What about the practice? I'm not going to spend any time here. It almost could leap over verses 9 through 11, but I want you to understand them in the flow of this passage. In verses 9 through 11, James talks about the lowly brother and the rich brother. So he's talked about trials. And now we've got what I'm calling the practice. He's actually putting this theology into practice in two real life situations. One, the lowly brother, the man without much. And James wants him to think through the right attitude. He wants him to count it all joy. Then he talks about the rich guy and how he ought to react when he's humbled himself. When he's reminded that his wealth is temporary, like the the flower that fades. James will go on to talk about how the rich man will pass away. He wants this guy to understand the uncertainty of his riches. That you know what? Riches can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you rest. It can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. It can buy you a crucifix, but it can't buy you salvation. There's only so much money can buy. And so what does he do? What does he say? Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What do you think that means? I think it means this. Hey, you don't have much materially, but you need to rejoice in your exalted position in Christ. And all you need to do is read Ephesians to understand what James is probably talking about. And so this, this poor brother is being reminded, hey, you've got an inheritance in heaven that fades not away. Nobody can steal it, inflation can't undermine it. And then to the rich brother, you rejoice in your humiliation. What does that mean? Well, you know what? Embrace your trial. If it reminds you of the fleeting nature of life, and, and if it demonetizes your life in a good way, embrace it. And it will remind you that ultimately, as rich as you are, it's your spiritual wealth that really counts treasure in heaven. So James is applying in two life situations. I'd love to develop it. I can't get to our last thought, what I call the prospect. The prospect. It's verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Did you notice the language? It's an echo of the earlier language. 
So we're still in this idea of trials on the outside that God allows to build our faith up, not temptations on the inside that Satan might engender to bring our faith down. Notice the language. Remain steadfast under trial. Notice the language um, of being approved, tested, receiving the crown of life. Here's a suggestion for you in the last few minutes that we have. Back in verse 2, he says, count it all joy. Maybe the best thing for us to do is connect verse 2 with verse 12. What joy is he talking about? I think it's eschatological joy. Big word for joy associated with the second coming, joy associated with heaven, joy associated with the life to come, the crown of life. That's a little phrase. If you know your Bible, you know that when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, depending on how we have lived, you know what? There's different crowns, different rewards. And the man who endures, the woman who perseveres, who allows their faith to be tested, who's got wisdom from God to remain under that test and not waste their sorrows, and is applying it to their lives whether they're rich or poor, they're going to get a crown of life. Now, the idea there would be, it's, it's, the, the crown is life itself. Now, that can't mean physical life because they're already enjoying that. And to some degree, it can't even mean the first part of eternal life because they're already enjoying that. He's talking about something they are yet to receive. So I think it's, e- it's eternal life in terms of glorification, perfection. When we are saved to sin no more, to borrow the words of the hymn writer. And you know what? Do you not think that ties in well with the text? Because what are we wanting? We're wanting for all the gaps in our life to be filled in. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be deeper and better Christians. We want to be more mature. We want our spirituality to be the real thing. And, we'll only, and, and we should strive for that, but we'll always fall short of that this side of heaven. But if we'll keep persevering, and that's our joy, because that's the purpose of God in redemption. When we persevere and we fall over exhausted at the finish line of life, we'll receive life to a point where the struggle is over. Beautiful. I have a friend buried off the 14th. James Tilton, died young at Master's Seminary, left a family, just comes to my mind, good brother, training to be a military chaplain. I always remember us meeting, and he was so serious about holiness, so serious about sanctification, which is good. He used to say, I'm tired of the fight. I'm tired of the fight. The day I heard that he dropped dead in a San Francisco restaurant. The first thing that came to my mind was, James, the fight is over. The fight is over. Crown of life, perfect. And that's what keeps us going. That helps us put one foot in front of the other. That's the the beatitude that Jesus, James, the half-brother of Jesus, adds to his own brother's beatitudes. Blessed is the man or a woman who endures because outlook determines outcome. And if you and I will keep persevering, that's the carrot on the stick, so to speak. 
We continue to press forward, even under trials and in the face of temptation. We go through the muck and the mire that is life because every day we live and we haven't fallen, we haven't blown it. We are one step nearer unspeakable joy full of glory. Maybe the best way to illustrate it's like, remember, I don't know if our TVs still do this, but I had a TV several years ago that give you this option of picture within picture. You ever use that? You know, you got one picture and all of a sudden you can put another. So if you're watching one football game, you can watch another. Or if your wife's watching some dopey Hallmark movie, you can watch something real good up in the corner. Picture within a picture. I think James is saying in verse 12, picture within a picture. The one picture is you and your trial, which nobody would make light of. James is not saying that trials are fun. Nobody makes light of that. Whatever you're going through, it's excruciating, it's challenging, it's disappointing, it's discouraging. But you don't want to get so focused on that picture that you don't have the other picture. That God's doing something with that. God's filling in gaps in your walk and knowledge of him. And if you'll endure, you will receive a crown of life that the Lord Jesus will give to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your brother, James. It's like he grabs us by our necktie, pulls us right into his face and tells us how we ought to live. Within a verse or two, we are out in life Life in the raw, challenging, burdensome, heartbreaking. But we can handle it. We can handle it. There's grace. We can persevere looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us not to waste our sorrows. Help us to know you're always up to good in the bad. Give us wisdom to know that. Help us to be in your word and listening to your spirit. And Lord, help us to keep that vision of the life to come. Lord, keep keep that vision of Christ and eternity and the saints of God and the martyrs of the church before us. Help us not to be a generation of spiritual crybabies, forever sucking on our spiritual thumb. Help us to grow up. Help us to stand up. Help us to look up, for we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Trials build our faith and set our sights on eternity. That's Philip DeCourcy encouraging us to keep the big picture in mind today on Know the Truth. There's plenty more in this special presentation, but if you missed any of the messages this week, visit us online to listen. Just go to ktt.org or order the miniseries on CD when you call 888-644-8811. As Philip said today, outlook determines outcome, and God's Word offers us the answers and the encouragement to stay in the race until the end. If you're looking for some extra encouragement, we'd like to send you Philip's weekly email devotional delivered right to your inbox. If you're familiar with Philip's winsome style and hard-hitting messages that rightly divide the Word of Truth, you'll love receiving Philip's weekly inspiration. It's always solidly biblical. Subscribe to the devotional today when you visit ktt.org. And if you're new to Know the Truth, online you can also request the free Keys to Overcoming Temptation bookmark. 
We also make special resources available to faithful friends who support this nonprofit Bible teaching ministry. We wouldn't be on the radio and the Internet without your generosity. And when you make a donation of $20 or more today, we'll send you a book titled The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wearsby. Every day when you wake up, you're in a spiritual battle, but as believers, God's given us the power to overcome. The Strategy of Satan outlines all the biblical tools you need to detect and defeat the adversary. Get your copy of The Strategy of Satan when you give $20 or more in support of Know the Truth. Donate when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And you can also send your gift to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm Wayne Shepherd signing off for today. Tomorrow, Philip DeCourcy puts the focus on how to resist temptation from within. Don't miss Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow and i give you a 60-day money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose and here's my best offer ever go to mypillow.com and mike will give you two my pillow premium pillows for one low price and you'll receive free shipping when you use promo code wava call 800-517-3636 or go to mypillow.com that's 800-517-3636 or go to mypillow.com use the promo code wava 800-517-3636 for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com you cannot live wrong. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.